We don't slut shame around here. They say we are what we eat. Does that come in organic? So who are you eating? I believe they call that an ethical slut. Can I unplug your phone so I can charge my vibrator? I can't believe he couldn't find it. Fuck it. Let's roll. You're listening to Eat, Play, Sex with Dr. Cat, the place to up-level that sexy life of yours with expert talk on sex, love, and nutrition. Hey lovers, and welcome to another episode of Eat, Play, Sex. I'm your sex expert, Dr. Cat. Question to all of you listeners, what do you think? Can a girl have a boner? <laughs> well, we know from recent Cardi B and Megan Three Stallion videos that she can have a WAP. <laughs> and if you don't know what that means, Google it or that's a wet ass pussy. <laughs> You're welcome. But in all seriousness, it absolutely amazes me with how many women don't actually know how their body functions. Actually, that doesn't really surprise me given that we've all been given a shit type of education around our sex and our pleasure and the functioning of our bodies as it relates to pleasurable sex. And that, of course, most of us just don't really know how we fully operate. And my lovers not having the accurate information is impacting the quality of our pleasure just with that. Fuck, I didn't even know <laughs> that the clitoris, like growing up, I didn't even know that the clitoris was more than just that little tiny button that extended out, you know, that we all saw, but it actually looks very similar to a wishbone shaped penis. Now I know that that sounds really weird as that came out of my mouth, but if you don't know what I'm talking about, then that's exactly why we're here. <laughs> Today we're diving in with author and certified badass August McLaughlin, who's going to shed some light on girl boners and whatever else it is that we're made out of. I don't know, maybe she'll even help us understand the WAP. <laughs> but before we get to August, I want to thank you all for tuning in. I want to thank you for your reviews on iTunes. And if you haven't left one yet, then be a doll and type me up some love and then share with your roommate who, can, who you can hear in the next room having some of her own challenges around her sex life. Don't worry, girl. Help is on the way <laughs> because my, help, my goal here is to help you to eat, play, and sex better. And if you haven't already, please head to eatplaysex.com where you can subscribe to the show and connect with me and grab our sexy guides to be able to help you with your sex, love, and vitality. <laughs> That's all we want for you. <laughs> so now let's get to our awesome guest that I'm absolutely stoked to have on the show, August McLaughlin. Hi. Hi, Dr. Kat. Thanks so much for having me. Oh my God. It is my pleasure. It's, I just keep saying pleasure. Just I'm a pleasure advocate, all the pleasure. <laughs> yes. We need more of it. Absolutely. I love that about your work. Yeah. It's like, it's, I feel like in our culture, we've created this, this ethos around punishment or around criticism, you know, avoiding criticism. And it's like, no, I want to make a decision out of pleasure. I want, uh, recently somebody told me, oh, or, so are you a, um, what is that? Hedonist. And I was like, well, is a hedonist somebody who just like really likes sex and enjoys eating delicious, extravagantly, you know, decadent things? Yeah, then yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sign me up. Yeah. What's the downside of that? I know this sounds awful. Like, I mean, I still get my work done. It just all feels really good. Yeah. It's powerful. I mean, pleasure, we, we think it's very frivolous, but it's not. It's I think it's a form of like resistance and empowerment and activism, and it's so strengthening in our lives. So August McLaughlin is a noted health and sexuality writer, a media personality, and a podcast host and producer who's best known for her Girl Boner podcast and her epic book, which I, book and workbook. I think you created a workbook that I haven't dived into just yet. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's like a guided journal and you get to write in the pages. It, it goes well with the main book or you can do it on its own. Which is incredible because you're really not only just teaching people, but you're, you are empowering people to inquire for themselves about their sexuality. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. That's my goal is I want with my books, with all of my work, I want people to 
take the journey and make it their, their own, um, make the pages of the book their own and really have like a guide through it. But it's really about navigating our own path, right? The sexual self-discovery that is endless. It starts early on and it just keeps going, which is a pretty beautiful thing. Yeah. And none of our sexualities are the same. Right. It's so true. We're all very unique and it also changes over time. So what I'm into now might not be what I'm into a year from now. And that's awesome too. It's just this adventure and we get to continually learn more about ourselves and and others. And it's, yeah, it's trippy and exciting. (laughs) Right. It's, it's our, our potential. I like to say our potential is infinite, but only if we allow ourselves to get curious. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Curiosity is so important. We have to, and that's probably what leads people to your podcast and to your work is those, those questions, right? Which I know you get some really good ones. And that's, that's really where everything starts for sure. Yeah. Asking the question, what could be more? Yeah. yeah. And speaking of that, I have a question for you. I like yeah. to think of this as my little foreplay question and all right. I mean, I'll, we've already gotten started, but <laughs> just to warm us up a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. What would you tell your younger self that you would feel would help them around sex or love? Like mm. little August. I would say how old is this little August? Oh, I don't know. How okay. old do we want? <laughs> I'll just pick an age. Uh, I think around puberty, I would say to little pubescent August that there's this amazing thing called solo play, or you've probably heard it called masturbation and it's healthy and natural and you should start it sooner. Yeah. Oh God. I would tell little cat the same thing. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's how you started your book too. You started it with this hilarious story about your first time that you self-pleasured. I think you were, you were 30, right? Yeah. So it's just over 10 years ago and mm-hmm. I already considered myself sexually empowered and like, I loved having sex and it was orgasmic and great. And I just thought I didn't need to masturbate. Like it was just this thing that I hadn't, I just had never really tapped into no pun intended. And so, uh, yeah, that's really what set me on the path to take these seeds I had about doing something in the sexual empowerment space and going, Oh my gosh, like I need to get this out into the world. Um, but yeah, it took me a long time. I didn't realize that I had shame around my sexuality or that at that time I was defining sex as something that is dependent on another person, that my Mm. sexuality was dependent on another person when it's really, it starts in us. Like it's my own thing. And that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually, I remember I had tried masturbation a couple of times when I was 19 and I was like, I even got this, I I laugh about this. My very first toy looked like that I ordered off of, I don't know even where, but it looked like an alien probe. It was like purple, translucent. It had like this dick thing that like lit up bright purple and a little rabbit at the end and just go. <laughs> it was the weirdest thing. I think I used it like once. Yeah. <laughs> but that was my first attempt and, and even tried with my hand, but I, I gave up after, you know, a few minutes because I was just like, oh, this just isn't, you know, doing anything for me and didn't actually pick up the practice until I was 26 when I had my first orgasm with myself. And that was like a 45 minute <laughs> long, even, you know, exploration, but I was like, I'm going to do it. You know, uh, but it makes me think of like what you said, you, you felt you experienced having shame around masturbation or your sexuality. What do you think the shame was around that for you? I think that I had absorbed these really common messages that our own, like exploring our own genitals, uh, sex just for the purpose of like your own pleasure and nobody else's mm-hmm. was somehow like not sacred or was somehow, I'll use the word sinful, even though I don't abide by any particular religion, but I grew up around a lot of religion. I went to church. Uh, my grandfather was a pastor. And so I had really resisted a lot of the messages from 
what I consider a really restrictive um, church philosophy that my grandfather taught. So I, I didn't really think that I had that, like that there were parts of it that had gotten into me. And I specifically remember hearing from my grandmother when I was really little, like, don't touch down there. Yeah. With this like fear in her voice. And so I was like, oh my gosh, like what's going to happen to me? I thought my grandmother never said, that was like the most negative, harsh thing I'd ever heard her say. Like she's like Mary Poppins. And so it really, I think it really got to me. And then there's another piece of that, which is, I know a lot of people with vulvas, they, they orgasm more often and much more easily externally. Mm -hmm. I experienced much more pleasure internally and I didn't have or embrace clitoral, like external clitoral orgasms Mm -hmm. for a lot of my adulthood. So for me, it was like, well, I needed to, I thought I had to be like filled up and Mm -hmm. I needed a person to do that, like for me or with me. And it had to be like this exchange So it really set me, that experience really set me on to that curiosity path of like, where did I get these messages? Um, And yeah, I didn't even know I had the shame there. And I think shame can be very insidious in that way. Oh my God, it's sneaky. We don't even realize because it's almost like we're like, no, but that's reality, right? Right. We don't question it. (laughs) No, we confuse shame with reality. We're like, that's how everything is. (laughs) Right. Until something happens that kind of like lifts the lid and then you're like, whoa. And then it seems so obvious but it just didn't ever dawn on me. Yeah. Yeah. I teach a weekly sex exploration class. And I've, um, I think it was two classes ago. We talked about the concept of masturbation and mindful masturbation. And I had multiple women, all of them in their you know, late twenties or thirties telling me that they don't masturbate because they'd rather have a partner. And when they try to masturbate, they just get sad and they just, you know, or they just get annoyed and they don't want to do it anymore. That's so interesting. Yeah, I think that really highlights another message we receive, which is masturbation is for lonely people, is for people who aren't in a relationship and that you are also less than if you're not in a relationship. And it's great if you're masturbating when you're lonely and it makes you feel better. I've done that. Mm -hmm. Um, But as you know, it can add so much to our relationships. And I think that if we feel like it's not worth it, we need to start asking ourselves the questions of why, like, why, why is my own pleasure? Why does it not matter if it's, if it's just for me? Ooh, that is a powerful statement. Yeah. Can we create space for ourselves, for our pleasure and not just attached to another partner? Wow. Yeah. And do you still have a practice or do you have favorite toys or, or what is that like for you today, 10 years later? Yeah, it's not a, um, like a regimented practice. I don't have a schedule or anything, but I, (laughs) you don't have a schedule. (laughs) I don't for almost anything, but, but I do think scheduling is really helpful for a lot of people, including Uh the solo play. Like, I think if you're, if you're someone who like doesn't make time for pleasure, and you want to get into masturbation or you feel like it could be helpful, I think scheduling it could be great. Uh, <laughs> I have a little, not anti-schedule, but just my personality. I just, I like to be very free-flowing. And mm-hmm. so, uh, yeah, I, I masturbate um, a, a lot of times with toys. Like toys are my favorite. Uh, mm-hmm. Non-vibrating are my favorite as well. And I like the internal toys best. But I also really enjoy trying different things. And so one of the benefits of working in this industry is, you know, getting products into you or, you know, it's a, it's a huge bonus, right? So I've, I've been able to try toys that I never would have bought for myself, uh, which is really fun. And I guess the closest thing I would have to a practice would be around solo play is when I have like a headache or I feel super tense and stressed, I have, I have a, I call it my headache vibrator because it's the one vibrating toy, it's rabbit style, mm-hmm. that is so arousing so quickly that I feel instant like therapeutic relief from it. It's, <laughs> it's really great. It's not when I'm like, ooh, I'm turned on or I want to be turned on. It's just like, I need to just release and feel better like now. That brings up a really good point. The concept of self-pleasure or orgasms, um, or even if you don't you know, experience an orgasm, how, how that can be used in different intentional intentions. Absolutely. Yeah. I interviewed an author recently, um, Kristen Soleil, 
And she credits her orgasm magic practice for landing her a book deal because she was orgasming with intention and she was focusing all that energy on like imagining what she wanted. And she's like, did it help? Did it not? Who cares? That was great. It was fun. And it, and then she got a book deal. So I think it can be very purposeful and and versatile too. Oh my God. Absolutely. Two nights ago, I led a sex magic workshop and we were all bringing in the the orgasmic intentions. (laughs) That's fun. Yeah. I mean, why not? Why not take like the most incredible pleasure and release Mm -hmm. and pair it with like your your biggest dreams and goals and ambitions. It's beautiful. Yeah. Like we said earlier, the permission to allow yourself to desire and want what you want. Yes. I'm into that. Subscribe me. Yeah. Yeah, Totally. (laughs) One thing that I was really impressed about your book, uh, Girl Boner, was that how inclusive you are with your language. And you even have whole sections that are dedicated to talking about sexual privilege and like really you went out of your way and added extra words in your sentences to make sure that people are included. I even heard you say in just a moment ago, vulva owners, which for, for other people who might identify as, as fluid or, you know, as trans, I can imagine they're all over here cheering and be like, yes, I'm included in this, you know, and, um, they're, So I guess what inspired you to, or what made you realize that that was something that needed to happen? Thank you for asking that. I am really passionate about people feeling included. And it's something I'm always learning about too, because we all Mm. carry our own types of privilege. Um, But I I just really, I think honestly, a a piece of it is growing up, uh, I have ADHD and I didn't know that when I was a Mm -hmm. kid. And so I always had this sense of feeling so different and, and feeling discluded, like feeling not a part of things and feeling weird and unusual. So some of that comes from, a, I think, a really strong, deeply empathetic place. And then, and then also I have really wonderfully loving parents who, mm-hmm. who taught us by example to care about people. And I think that that is what the whole goal of sex education is when you really think about it. Yes, we need to learn all the how-tos and the health aspects and all of that. But in this culture where we have all these mixed messages and there's so much confusion and and harm that happens, I think one of our biggest um, ways that we can be useful in this world is to help people feel not alone and that there's nothing wrong with them. I love that. And what comes to my mind are two two very potent ones I see often is, you know, this concept that, that most women can achieve orgasm or men too can achieve orgasm. And then people who struggle with it either don't speak up or, or just feel lost in the, in the shuffle. Yeah. Which is really sad. I mean, that's so sad that we have these ideas and I appreciate you bringing up that point about men because we have different, but just as many myths surrounding quote unquote male sexuality that they have to be like turned on all the time. And they have to, like, if they don't want to have sex, there's something wrong with their masculinity. Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's really confusing. And as you mentioned early on that our sexuality is so unique, it's not based on our gender or our genitalia. It's really an essence of, of who we are and only we get to define it. Right. Ooh, beautifully said. And then even in your book, you even describe, you know, there are unconscious ways that we're perpetuating this all the time, you know, and, and through disempowering statements or, you know, repeating things that we've heard without questioning them. Uh, what kind of things stand out for you that you'd like to help our listeners bring awareness to so that they can help create a different culture? I love that question. One thing is to be really conscientious when you're attaching gendered labels to things that talk about a person's value. So one example would be, oh, you, you had your period, you're a woman now. It, <sighs> you know, it's like, no, that's not what makes you a woman. And, and that also is very, you know, hurtful to someone who's non-binary or transgender or anyone who doesn't, anyone who has a period and is not female. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. it's very confusing. It's like, well, then what makes me a woman? So whenever you're adding those terms, like I still have to think about certain terms. I it's, I'm from Minnesota and the term guys is used 
in a really, you know, gender neutral way. Mm -hmm. And it is, it's so much a part of my language. It's a very like hard one for me to not use all the time, especially when I'm talking to people back home in Minnesota. And so I've been, you know, practicing saying like, Hey everyone, Hey y'all, Hey everyone, (laughs) how are you all doing? You know, and not saying things like anytime you're talking in binary terms, ladies and gentlemen, there's a huge number of people who are not included. So just checking in with yourself and taking inventory and And knowing we're all on a journey. Like I cringe sometimes when I look back at like a blog post I wrote in like my first year or something, I'll, I'll go, Oh my goodness. And, uh, you know, you just see the growth and that's what I have to do is go, well, you had to learn. You didn't know yet. Mm -hmm. It's okay. (laughs) That's, that's incredibly important. The compassion piece of, of recognizing that we didn't know what we didn't know until we knew it. Yeah, it's (laughs) really true. It's one of those things where you hear it and you're like, well, of course, but then to actually implement that into our lives, because what it does is it helps minimize that shame. And I think that shame around anything in our life can be so debilitating and keep us from living out our full purpose, however we define that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's powerful. You know, a moment ago, you mentioned about the, the period and, and associating that with womanhood. And, and in my mind, I was I had this little flashback to, to little cat. I wasn't so little, but (laughs) where I, you know, I didn't start my period until I was 18 as a result of eating disorders for, for about 11 years. And so having that feeling of like, Oh, I can't really relate with anything, you know, and you dive in deep into the book about your own history of, of eating disorders, which blew my mind. I literally like braced myself. I was like, yes, August, you know, preaching the good word (laughs) because there is so much shame about acknowledging that part of us. Yeah, there really is. And thank you for sharing openly that you have struggled too. I think every time, not everyone needs to speak publicly about these things, but when we do feel compelled to, I think it's so powerful just for someone Mm -hmm. to go, I love the show. I listen to you. I watch your YouTube and oh my gosh, you've struggled too. Yeah. It's really important for me to, to own the parts of my story that are quote unquote, not pretty. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, and when I do talk about my eating disorder history, I was diagnosed with anorexia initially very often in the healing process from anorexia, you go through binge eating and you go through some Mm -hmm. of the others, other types of disordered eating behaviors. And I did. And I remember feeling more shame around binging than I did around like restriction. Mm -hmm. And I also got more, I still, sometimes when people hear I had anorexia, I hear things like, I wish I had that discipline or I could use a little bit of that now. Mm -hmm. And And uh, it doesn't come from an intentionally harmful place. But again, these are these stereotypes that we absorb. All eating disorders are so detrimental and so harmful and they are illnesses and they are no fun. And so that's why I shared about those things. And I try to share responsibly. I know anything can be a little activating for people. um, So it's important to always take care of ourselves. But I really try to avoid things like the lowest weight I reached or Mm -hmm. how many calories I was eating because- I've learned that people compare themselves when they're in a dark place. Right, right. And wanting to measure their, you know, where they're at with somebody else. Oh, she, she's doing better than me. I used to, when I was that age, um, little cat used to look up thinspiration and compare, create that comparison. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's so powerful to have these conversations because it gives people permission to, to also uh, observe what it's like to see somebody own that part and not just ignore it or shame it. Mm. How did you see that experience um, impact your sexuality during that time? At the time, looking back, I can see many impacts. One was during my time of struggling with anorexia and really severe restriction and low body weight and all of that, I, I did not have any desire for sex really. Mm-hmm, me neither. Um, yeah. Cause it kind of, right. It strips away so much, right? Like, and ironically at the time I was working in the fashion industry, I was modeling. So I was arguably selling sexuality. That's what they say, right? Like mm-hmm. make love to the camera. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I had 
zero, uh, what were you saying? Wet ass vagina, uh, pussy. Um, I, WAP. <laughs> yes, I had very, I did not have a WAP. Uh, I also lost my period. Um, yeah. yeah, a lot of, a lot of things were happening that the physical part certainly did, detracted, but then the emotional parts were of course the worst and feeling incredibly lonely. I mean, at the beginning, it felt like a, felt like an abusive relationship where at the beginning it's like you're swept off your feet and it's so exciting and everything's shiny and very quickly it overtakes your life and you mm-hmm. can't get out. And so that was really damaging on all of my relationships. I was distanced from literally everyone. When I was throughout the healing process, sex did start to become an outlet for pleasure for me mm-hmm. and something that was an escape which I don't know if I've ever really even shared about, but it, it, as we're talking, I'm just remembering these times when I finally could get out of that, that negative mindset mm-hmm. and that, mm-hmm. that illness, the grasp of it, because I was really just taken over by this as what, as what happens when we're aroused. And it's so beautiful that you, it's like the most mindful and present we can be. It was probably <sighs> only time I was present <laughs> at that time. Um, and then one of the most striking things really in my life was sitting in a college class I was taking at the time when I was in treatment and really just studying to have something else to do. And I took the psychology course. And one day the, the, uh, the teacher stood in front of the class and said, today we're going to talk about sex. And I had one of those big light bulb moments because I realized I hadn't really talked about sex. I hadn't talked about sex with the guy I was having it with. It was just this shrouded in secrecy topic. And looking back, I could see that that was the moment I stopped wanting to starve myself. Wow. I wanted to respect my body. You know, I I was like, I got angry. I was like, why? Why did I not know about my, you know, any details really about my clitoris? Why did I not know? Like, I just, it blew my mind that I had to ask myself these questions at like uh-huh. age, I think it was 20. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it just set me into like this fury and I was still struggling with the eating disorder, but sure. that was the beginning of my healing for sure. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, it's like we want connection and intimacy, but we don't because it interrupts the relationship that we have with the eating disorder, which, which is a full-time committed relationship. It's so true. It's not. Yeah. 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 24-7 for sure. Yeah, for sure. Wow. Yeah. Um, the... And so you're bringing up a moment ago, you brought up the, um, I, I want to tie this back into the present day, you know, where we are talking about sex and how, um, sex is changing even in our culture, um, and how it's being presented. And at the beginning of the, of the podcast, I brought up WAP, you know, wet ass pussy. And I had a conversation with friends this week, you know, about like, what does this mean? You know, when does you seeing all these young people on TikTok? doing very sexual dances or seeing Cardi B and Megan three stallion on their video, you know, with little, little nipple tassels and, and, (laughs) and just popping it, you know, (laughs) and, um, somebody asked, you know, one of my friends was like, well, when does self-expression become self-exploitation? Or is this, is this okay that, you know, having the teens, is this too much that they're seeing and then replicating? Are they becoming over-sexualized? And, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to ask August what she thinks. (laughs) Oh, that's a great question. uh, Both from you and from your friend. (laughs) And I think those are important things to think about. I think it's really important that we differentiate between like sexual empowerment and being sexualized are different things. Mm. Sexual empowerment is within us. It's our own individual thing. And it is of course influenced by culture and all the things Mm -hmm. we see and the people we know and our experiences, but it's, it's ultimately ours and we get to define it when we are sexualized which I would say is when we are exploited, that is when somebody is using our sexuality without our agency. So if I were a sex worker and I'm, I'm maybe, or I'm a stripper and I'm rocking it on stage and I want to make money by, you know, people, um, 
you know, paying for, for this sexiness, Mm -hmm. then that's very different, um, from somebody, for example, being forced to do sexual acts, you know, that's trafficking. (laughs) So those are like the two, those are two extremes that I can think of. Uh, but it's important to always remember that nothing happens in a bubble. And I think about that a lot with things like, um, cosmetic surgeries, we are seeing a big increase in people having like labiaplasty, cosmetic labiaplasty as porn has become much more prevalent. Mm -hmm. And so people are comparing their body parts with other people's body parts, even though there's no like quote unquote normal. Um, And part of me feels sad about that because I think there's, there's literally like your labias, everything's beautiful and great. Mm -hmm. And, um, and certainly if you have a functional problem, I think you deserve to have that, that um, treated. I also think that there's this pressure to match up to a standard that doesn't even exist. And sometimes there are risks to that. So people will have labiaplasty and lose sensation um, in that area. So it's, it's something that I think we have to always weigh out the pros and the cons and the risks and all of that, but, but really know that no one gets to define our sexuality besides us. So if we feel the most empowered by putting on our nipple tassels and like rocking it and, um, showing people our butt on Instagram or whatever, that's great. Like do it, have fun. That's, Mm -hmm. that's your choice. And it's really the, it's interesting that a lot of the criticism comes from people who are perpetuating these myths themselves. So Mm -hmm. they're like, Oh, I want to, I want to look at all these, you know, I want to see this kind of body type. And I have pictures on my wall of women who look like X, Y, and Z. But then if someone they know is dressing like that, they're like, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, so there's a lot of hypocrisy in that. That was kind of a yeah. roller coastery answer, but it obviously brings up a lot for me because I'm like, it's a huge topic and an important one. Yeah, me too. And I watched the video for the first time yesterday um, to to Pratt because I hadn't even watched it when we were having that conversation, but watching it and these two very voluptuous women who are just like, rocking it. I was like, damn girls. Yeah. You know, and, and it just, cause that has been such a male dominated, um, thing, you know, being in the rap culture and, and talking about doing these things to women. And here's women who are just like owning their sexuality, owning their, their sexual prowess. And I was really impressed, but then they, you know, my friends brought up these, these questions about, well, how is this influencing our children, you know, who are, who are watching mm. it and, and, um, replicating? Yeah, that's a really good question too. I think communication is so big around all of that is really talking about what things represent and beauty standards too, you know, just saying, not talking about people in ways that place value and judgment on their bodies, whether they're dancing like that and rocking it in these amazing ways or, or whether they are, you know, wearing a turtleneck, like trying to really move away from those, those judgments, I think is really important. And, and knowing that kids too, they're going to see all this stuff. And so really Mm -hmm. creating an environment where they feel they can talk to you. Um, mm. because I think the damage can, can come sometimes from, from self-comparison and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. It's, it's complicated. Cause I think I'm definitely not for like the, I think little kids who are in those really sexualized like pageants and, and dance videos and stuff where they are shown how to, it's not up to them. Like they're not deciding I want to, you know, rock it like Cardi B. Uh, that's a different <laughs> scenario, but I think talking to kids about, you know, that's what makes her feel good is fine. I, I, am not a parent, so I can't speak to, to what that would be like, but I imagine what I would hope to do is create a place where they feel they can dress however they want to. And if they want to express themselves like Cardi B, that's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just having that, the dialogue to be able to tell the difference. I think even with, there's a big section in your, in your uh, book about porn, you know, even just differentiating how sex is different than porn. Even here, you know, you can dress this way and you can be an empower yourself way. And there's other ways to be able to express your sexual power. Absolutely. Yeah. The education piece needs to be there just to say, there's nothing wrong. Like don't paint porn as this evil, just say porn is neutral. I mean, porn is neutral. Literally. It's yeah. like, these are not things that we get to tell children how they should feel about, but 
we know they're not learning much about sex in school. So if the only <laughs> education they have is a certain kind of porn, they just need to know there's a difference. Mm-hmm. So the education piece around it again, yeah, to yeah, ground it big. for them. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many different types of porn out there now. There's, you know, incredible, like I'm a big fan of Erica Lust and, and um, you know, yes. the incredible art, artist full work that she does. Yes. I, oh, I'm so grateful for the artists who are really using this medium to create something that appeals to, you know, maybe not even a separate audience, but, but expands what people are seeing, like to really have, if you want to see story and you want to see some of the kind of stereotypes that are promoted in some mainstream porn, if you want to go beyond that and see lots of different races, but not races in ways that they're fetishized, you know, and the artistic nature of Erica's films are really incredible. Yeah, they really are. And, and even the word fetishized, I just interviewed, and this show will launch uh, in a couple of weeks, uh, a couple of um, powerful voices in disability and sex. And, and you even brought up one of my dear friends, um, Robert, uh, I'm sorry, Robin um, Wilson Beattie. Yes. Book, and I was like, oh yeah, you're just... Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just how important it is to, to, yeah, like we've been talking about be so inclusive because even people who have disability are also interested in sex. Yes. And they're so often left out of sex education completely. <laughs> like yeah. if there's this assumption that if you have, you know, if you're in a wheelchair, for example, you're not a sexual being, which is just complete bogus. Right. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And, and what we learn from these, um, you know, what we're, what from the media, from the porn, from all of these external sources around what sex is, what it's supposed to look like, how we're supposed to, how our bodies are supposed to look and operate. Um, I've had dialogues with in my sexploration class with women about, you know, the concept of oral sex even, and, and even a bunch of them were like, nope, I won't even let them go down there. And in further conversation around it, it was things like, I don't, I'm afraid of, of what he'll taste of me. Or one time somebody told me that I smelled weird and, and being inclusive of for some people that just not, is there something wrong with the person for not wanting oral or is it just that, the, that it's something that can, they can overcome or is it something that that's just not part of their sexual script and how do we help people or how would you, what would you talk to people who, you know, um, express that? Oh yeah, that's such a big and important topic. And I think it's great that people are able to put words to the reasons why they're not comfortable. I think first and foremost is to say, you know what? There are a lot of weird messages that we hear. (laughs) It makes sense that we might feel funny about, oh, my vagina is supposed to smell and taste like roses. I don't know, it's not. (laughs) And, And really the smells and tastes are very similar to penis smells and tastes but we don't have the same marketing around, oh, you need to douche your penis. Like you need to have flowery, fresh smells come out <laughs> of your boxer shorts. We just don't have that. And so um, <laughs> I don't think that anyone ever has to, no one has to change their preferences um, if they don't want to. So if somebody is feeling self-conscious about receiving oral sex and they're like, well, it's because smells, taste, all this stuff. I think it's good to look into that, like look into the reasons and what you're maybe talk to, even if you have a partner, maybe talking about that and saying, you know, this is why, uh, there's a company called Laurel or Laurels. I think it's Laurel. Uh, they make these oral sex panties. So Mm. you can have oral sex with some protection from the smells and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, it's great. And it was created because of those reasons. Like wanting to have comfort. Like yeah. if you don't feel comfortable, well, maybe this would help. You know, you could ask yourself those, those questions. And, you know, some people will ultimately decide they don't really want to go for it and that's okay. Um, just because something's popular doesn't mean it needs to be for everyone. However, a lot of people find so much pleasure in that way. So you might find that you have the strongest orgasms through oral and you just, I would hate for someone never to find that out. Yeah. But again, it's, it's up to you what you want to do. I, I would just start with a baby step and say, is there something that would make it more comfortable? Like, why am I not comfortable? And if you are so happy with your sex life and you don't want to change it, that's cool too. 
Yeah. So what, what you're expressing is if um, only go into it and change it, if you deem it's a problem for you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 100%. You said that much more succinctly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really good with words, August. <laughs> you are. I'm much better on the page. So please edit, 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 edit all you want. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, um, you know, speaking of the, really, again, you're empowering people to think for themselves and make decisions for themselves, which is laced throughout your entire book of this concept of consent. You bring up consent over and over and over again, and not just in the bedroom, but you even talk about this, how can we practice consent outside of the bedroom, which is such a challenge for so many women, because it's like, we struggle with, with activating our voice or, you know, being able to speak up for ourselves across the board, you know, or we're like, we, we apologize. Like when somebody's just walking past us, we're like, Oh, sorry. And I'm like, no, why are you sorry? You didn't do anything. You just stood there and took up space, you know? (laughs) Right. Yes. Oh my gosh. That goes so deep. (laughs) 100%. Yeah. It's really empowering to start practicing, taking up space and, you're practicing upholding your boundaries, your yeses, your noes out in the wild, like in the, you know, outside of the bedroom, it does translate into better sex because you can't just suddenly snap into wonderful consent practices during sex. If you don't practice it anywhere else, it's just a muscle that I think we need to examine and practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like the way I've seen it is we've been a culture conditioned to put up with discomfort and just kind of like deal with it. And instead of say something, because if we say something, we're bothering the system or we're making somebody uncomfortable and like, how dare us make somebody uncomfortable, you know? (laughs) Right. We'd rather be uncomfortable than make someone feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. So practicing your yeses and your noes. I really like that. How would you suggest somebody to be able to do that? No, it really depends on where you're starting from. And And as I say that, I'm also thinking there are people who, if you're in a controlling relationship, um, if you're in a really abusive scenario, a a workplace where you can't, sometimes you literally can't, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. sometimes it's it's not, it's a, it's a privilege to be able to, to practice all of this. Uh, Whenever you have the time and the space and the, the freedom to do so, I think, I think it starts with asking yourself what you want, (laughs) because Mm -hmm. I think we practice so often we get so good at putting our own desires aside that it can yeah. be very easy to not know what we want anymore. So somebody says, where, do, what do you want to have for dinner? Uh, like, I don't know. What do you want? Where do you want? What movie do you want to see? Uh, I don't know. What do you, what do you want to like it? If you're always doing that, really pausing to ask yourself, maybe when someone's not even there, like, what would I, what would the answer be if it was just for mm-hmm. me? What would the answer yeah. be if, if the answer made the other person excited because Mm -hmm. people who care about you and people who are respectful, they do want your true answer. They really Mm want to know what you want. Mm. What would feel good for us? Yeah. Yeah. So maybe you, everybody can practice by going to Starbucks or your local organic coffee shop and order the most fanciest drink that you can and see if you can do it <laughs> without yes. averting your eyes from the cashier. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's amazing what like splurges and indulgences, what role that can play in really strengthening us just to be like, yeah. oh, I didn't just to realize, oh my gosh, I, I consistently set these aside. What if I, what if I did say yes to my pleasure? It's, it's powerful. Yeah. Yeah, I want a sugar-free latte with oat, with oat milk and just the foam on the side and the and the whipped cream and an extra cup. That's all I want. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> and it's good to have it? like that's you could of course <laughs> if it brings you pleasure, go for it. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So as we're wrapping up, I have, I, I want to ask these questions from some of our listeners. So for those of you who've been following me on Instagram at sex, love yoga, I take followers questions and put them to my guest experts for you because we've got her right here in front of you, in front of me, not in front of you. <laughs> but <laughs> So this first question was my boyfriend told me mid oral that my pussy looked weird. Now I can't stop thinking about it. Is this something that I can get over? Oh, oh, my heart. Uh, people sometimes say things that they, they don't even realize how 
how hurtful they can be. I'm really sorry that, that, that you heard this. Um, I would say you can absolutely navigate the situation and get to a better place. I think one thing that can happen is we hear something like that and it becomes this really distracting thought and it takes us away from our pleasure. It takes us out of the sexual experience. So I think if, if this person is still with this partner, I think a conversation is really important. Mm-hmm. The, however this person looks, it's not weird. <laughs> I promise you it's probably incredibly beautiful. I would, I, if I were speaking to this person, I would say you are so perfect the way you are. Mm-hmm. Like the closest thing to perfect. There's nothing wrong <laughs> at all with how you look. And I, I do think that it could be an opportunity to either create some healing in that relationship and get some more of the love and compassion that you're deserving um, and maybe dig deeper. Maybe this person's very insecure. Who knows where that came from? Um, if you're not with that person anymore, just know it had nothing to do with you, like literally 0% to do with you. Yeah. Oh, that's beautifully said. Yeah. And so much more compassionately than what I would have answered. I would have answered, what would you get say? the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> that's totally fair too. Seriously. I mean, yeah. it's hard to know like all the details, but right. it's, it's a very well, sometimes those red flags are there for a very helpful reason. <laughs> <laughs> right. You deserve a WAP. You need to go get, get yes. you out of <laughs> yes. Okay. Second question. My daughter is six years old and I want to raise her in a sex positive manner. When should I start teaching her about her sexuality? Mm, I love this question. I think we should talk to kids about sexuality their whole lives. I think as soon as they have questions, which usually is pretty early, answer them and answer them truthfully and, and factually and use proper terms for their body parts. And you don't need to go beyond what they ask. I think that's a fear of a lot of parents. I, I'm curious if you've heard that where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, it's just going to make them want to have a lot of sex when they're like seven. No, it actually, we know the opposite. When people know more about sexuality, they have more autonomy and they make more measured uh, choices. So it's not going to make them do things that are potentially harmful for them or, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, I think it's beautiful that, that this person is thinking about that. So just be honest. And, and if you are feeling shame around your sexuality, it's important to work through that because kids learn from example. Oh my God. And kids are so sensitive. They pick up everything and then they make their own interpretation of things. Yeah. Yes, it's true. Yeah. Okay. Last question. I think this is from, yeah, this must be from a guy. I think I have trouble with the Madonna whore complex. Well, he must have been studying. (laughs) And I can't seem to see my girlfriend as someone I want to fuck, even though she's gorgeous. What do I do? Oh, wow. Well, the awareness is so important, right? That's huge. Knowing that it's a societal message that you've absorbed, it sounds like. I think that is something some real deep inner work to do. I, I would recommend talking to a sex therapist, somebody who can really help you. What would you say? Yeah. I mean, I guess for the listeners out there who don't know what the Madonna whore complex is, that is separating, um, the sexuality from your partner. So you either see her as this ultra erotic sex slut who can do anything and everything, in the sheets, or you see her as perfect, pure, and and good, and there's a difficulty with integrating the two pieces together. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's interesting. I've I've heard other terms for it where people say, "I don't know if she's a girlfriend or a wife, or a you know, yeah. the compartmentalizing between if this person might have children, she needs to be." Ah, like pure and all this stuff, <laughs> which is wild because how do they have the baby? Like you know, uh, yeah. Missionary, obviously. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Always. Yes. It works simultaneous orgasms and stars fall from the sky. <laughs> That's my sex. I don't know about yours. <laughs> Sign me up. Sounds good. 
Yeah. Yeah. And maybe even having a conversation with her that that's your experience because it may also be the energy of her. Maybe she has difficulty with accepting her sexuality or allowing herself to go there too. Maybe there's, or maybe there's something that's showing up in the guy that's making it not feel safe for her to be able to, to embrace that. It's really hard to tell with just this question, but um, ultimately it requires vulnerable conversations. I think so. And I think also asking yourself some questions, right? Like we were talking about the curiosity, where did you get those messages? We know they're prevalent in culture, but are you separating your own sexuality? Are you saying you can only have intimacy without sex, like emotional Mm -hmm. intimacy, maybe watching Erica lust porn instead of if you're watching like hardcore, like you know, gangbang type stuff, maybe shifting to something that blends the two. Um, that's just one example. But like, where are you getting these ideas from? Because we really can change what turns us on, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. To be very intentional and think about, yeah, what is creating the mindset around it or like the yeah. mental constructs. That's one of the word I'm looking for. Yeah. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Wow, August, this was phenomenal. There's so much gold in this episode. I'm just giddy. <laughs> You're such a thoughtful host. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Oh, I appreciate that. And where can they find out more about you? You can head to girlboner.org. Uh, I also, my podcast, Girl Boner Radio, is available on pretty much most podcast apps. And I'd love to hear what you think of it. I'm pretty reachable on social media as well. Thank you. Yeah, it, it really is great. I highly recommend everybody to check it out. So I'll see you next time on Eat, Play, Sex. All right, lovers. Now, if you love Eat, Play, Sex, then I think you'll fall in love with my friend Kelly, who has this epic show so aptly called The Kelly Show, where she tackles some of these hard questions and challenges you to really think outside of the box when it comes to spirituality, sexuality, personal growth. And her guests are such a variety from physics to therapists to coaches. And it's really funny. So head over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe to The Kelly Show. Check it out. Tell me what you think. Lovers, thank you again for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, hit subscribe and head over to eatplaysex.com to connect with me and grab my sexy guides. Because my goal here is to get you to eat, play, and sex better so you can improve your sex life, which will improve every aspect of your life. Until next time, Keep it sexy.